Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Welcome, everyone. Uh, We're just so glad to be together this morning, whether you're joining us here on campus or at home. uh, We're just so glad that we still can be together in this way. Uh, You know, I just want to say that I'm so happy that we are one church who professes our faith in one Lord, Jesus Christ, our one and only hope. Amen. Isn't that great? The unity we can have around that. And so as we do that and we gather like that, this morning uh, we are concluding our teaching series, Embodied Life. And so in this series, just a quick recap, we've been studying the one another statements found in Scripture. And so these were commands given to believers in the New Testament church, from those who walked with Jesus or sat under the apostles' teaching. And they tell us about how we should relate to each other and how we can find blessing in life together. And ultimately, we demonstrate God's love and reflect his image in our broken world. And so, you know, time and again during this series, we have found that these commands are so relevant for believers today, aren't they? And so we need these commands right now. Uh, Today's one another uh, statement comes from the passage in Hebrews chapter 10. So if you have your Bible, you know that book with 10,000 footnotes, that book, you can pull that out right now. Or if you have your smartphone, you can pull that out and we can swipe to Hebrews 10 together. But I'm going to get you to go to chapter 10 and verse 19. Otherwise, you can just follow along on the screen behind me and we'll have it up there. I'll let you guys get there. We're going to get right into it and start reading together, starting with verse 19. Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. May he bless us as we hear it today. Now, let's take a moment to quickly talk about the book of Hebrews. You know, we don't really know who the writer of Hebrews is. You know, some think it was Luke, Apollos, maybe John or Barnabas. One second century scholar, Origen, said this. He said, who actually wrote the epistle of Hebrews? God only knows. In any case, the content, though, shows us that this believer was hanging out with either Jesus or the apostles, his followers, the twelve. But here's what we do know and what's important today. It's that even though this circulated the first century believing communities like a letter, it really was just a sermon. And this sermon's main message was that Jesus was better than anything else we could ever imagine. 
superior to the Torah and the angels, and greater than the promise that was given to Moses and the Israelites. He is the eternal priest and king who offered himself as a perfect sacrifice, settling the score of sins, sin once and for all, for all who put their faith in him. Isn't that great news? That's a great sermon. We could just end right now, right? <laughs> but here's what we need to know about this sermon. It's so unique, is that this author, whoever he is or she is, was writing to people well-versed in the Old Testament. These people were likely uh, converted Jewish Christians, recently converted, and these believers were facing a fork in the road in their journey with Jesus so far. You know, for them, following Jesus has become unpopular and messy and even dangerous. And now they're having second thoughts about this new way of life, about whether they want to continue following Jesus or not. And so the question I think the writer is addressing here is this. What should believers do when they face tough times? And you know, for us, as we peer into a new season in a strange new world with uncertainties, I think this has never been more important for us. This is a question that we need to answer today. What should we do during tough times? And so today we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about dive bars, godly love, and provocation, and why you and your fellow believers need you to show up to love like Jesus and encourage them. That's it. So let's begin. In this passage that we just read together, we get solid instructions on how to persevere during these tough times that we face. And there's these three key exhortations in this short six-verse passage. First, the author says, let us draw near with a clear conscience and a total confidence in verse 22. And then he says, let us hold fast to our hope and his promises without wavering in verse 23. And finally, the writer of Hebrews says in verse 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so now those two verses, those two last verses will be our focus today, but before we get to them together, we need to talk about what kind of community has to exist where this can happen. Because this passage reveals two foundational truths about the assembly of believers, what we're doing here today. First, it's that our collective need for Christ is central to our community. And the second, that believers need to devote themselves to acts of love to persevere in hard times. So let's start by talking about this first truth. As with everything in the book of Hebrews, you will find that Jesus is so central. Right at the beginning of this passage we're looking at today, the writer shows us this. He, he writes, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the, what, the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest, Jesus, over the house of God, and then he goes so on and so forth. He calls us to draw near, to hold fast, and to consider. You see, Jesus is the reason we can draw near to God. His sacrifice is the reason that we can have a hope to hold on to. And keeping hope alive is why we even consider acts of love. 
And so in this passage, the we, the us, the holy place, the house of God, Hebrews is talking about, that's us, the collective people of God. Christ's body, the church. And so this reveals one foundational truth to us. It's just that our common need brings us together. It was never about politics or trends. It has never been about personal rights or appearances. It has never been about race or wealth. But it always has been our common brokenness and need that has driven believers together. And so sometimes we forget this. And we wish that church was still like that. For example, let me ask you something. Why should our church be more like a dive bar? No, I'm serious. Why should we be more like a dive bar? Well, I'm sure you're glad I'm going to tell you why. Let me tell you a story. You know, there's this biblical scholar and uh, podcaster whose name is Dr. Preston Sprinkle. It's a great name. He uh, hosts this podcast called Theology in the Raw. And he tells this story that's always stuck with me about a dive bar that he discovered when he started teaching at Eternity Bible College in Simi Valley, California. And you know... Just before he came to Simi Valley, he had left a Christian university in uh, a Christian town, Cedarville, Ohio, and he was just so excited to be back in the city to mingle with unbelievers and to discover diverse ways of thinking and ideas. But every day on his way to Eternity College, he would uh, pass by this nasty little hole in the wall called PC's Bar and Grill. And one day, Dr. Sprinkle decided to take a chance and prepare his lecture for that day at the grill. And so he pulled into the parking lot, and he stepped into the dark and musty pub, and he was greeted by this weathered old bartender. She said, what you drinking? And Dr. Sprinkle, confused and taken aback, ordered something half respectable. There wasn't much selection, so he got a Sam Adams and set up his study at an empty table that wasn't occupied by one of the regular zombified customers. And he immediately grew to love his new little office, but didn't know really if it was a good idea that he became a regular. What would people think? So two months later, he returned after the bar and grill sign caught his eye, and as soon as he enters the dark little room again, the very same bartender chirps to him. He said, hey Preston, Sam Adams, right? It was like he was already a regular. Dr. Sprinkle scanned the room anxiously, but nobody seemed to care that he was becoming a daytime regular at a dive bar. Hi, baby. You know, Dr. Sprinkle realized something so important. He realized that judgmentalism doesn't exist at a dive bar. Everyone there already knew that they were broken and assumed that everyone else who came there was broken. And at the moment, Dr. Sprinkle was just overwhelmed by this satisfying sense of being known. These strange people were warm and happy to see him, and they knew his name. You know, the regulars weren't there for the drinks. Drinks at a dive bar are still expensive. They were there for the community to know and to be known. They had a common need, and this place was unashamed to fulfill it. Later, Dr. Sprinkle wrote this in one of his blogs. He said, People are drawn to places of belonging, 
Places where people never want to leave and always want to come back. And sometimes I wish that church was more like a dive bar. Imagine, imagine that. Imagine if our church was just a little more like a dive bar, where the main reason we gathered was because of our common brokenness and need in pursuit of the one who has created a new and living way through his flesh, Jesus, in whom we put our faith and our only hope. Hi. See, don't forget this. Don't miss this today. If the people of God are gathering in pursuit of the person of God because they are in desperate need of him, this can be that place of love and belonging, and people are going to want to come back. The church is and should be a safe place where it's okay to not be okay. We say that a lot around here. And it's okay to be in desperate need of him. Where you can be broken before the living God and other broken people. It's for people that are bogged down by sin and don't feel good enough to draw near to God. It's for people who've lost their way and their hope. For real people with real problems who need real help. So what does... Hebrews tell this kind of church, the dive bar church, to do when things get tough. Well, naturally, they tell us to lean in, to hunker down and dig in, to plant yourself deeper in the community of believers, in planting yourself far past the topsoil, and to set down deep, deep roots, and to get to work and tend to the garden. This is why I think the writer says, consider how you can stir up one another towards love and good works. Because love and good works should be our priority, especially during tough times. Why will, the second reason that this is so important, why, well, the second reason we find that this short passage shows us the second foundational truth about the assembly of believers is that our uncommon love holds us together. Our uncommon love holds us together. You know, if our common hope in Jesus is what brings the church together, then it's love and good works that will keep us together. And it keeps pointing people back to Jesus, our only hope, and it gives us confidence to draw near to him and give hope to those who are losing it. But you might be wondering, okay, what kind of love is this that we're talking about, this love and good works? Well, let me tell you really quickly. First of all, this is a godly kind of love, an agape love, the kind that God lavishes on us, a beautiful, undeserved love. We can't produce it on our own, and aside from our relationship with God and the church, it just doesn't exist. It reflects God's greatest good in your life, both with goodwill and charity towards us, or with reproof and warning. That's how God loves. But second of all, this kind of love is an active kind of love. Here the words love and good works are so intricately woven that you can't separate love from its expression through action. Without love and action, our thoughts and our prayers and our best intentions are just dead noise. Love isn't something you can just say, think, or feel. Love is something you do, right? It's not stationary. People who love just keep, don't just keep thinking about it or making plans. People who love like this act. And Jesus loves us like that. The Apostle John wrote, 
By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. See, this kind of love The selfless and sacrificial love is one of the most important Christian devotions. It can't be assumed or taken for granted. It needs to be stirred up. Believers need to help one another to commit to it. This is why we are to fix our eyes on it as believers, especially when we're in crisis. How to provoke acts of love in each other. You know, there's this writer and this really wild Jesus follower that you might know. His name's Bob Goff. And he talks a lot about love in his books. And he has some amazing and really whimsical ideas about the love of Jesus. And for me, Bob is the very picture of loving like this aside from Christ himself. And I just want to grow up to be like Bob. I'm sure if you've read his books, you can agree. We kind of want to be like Bob. But in his book, Everybody Always, Bob talks about some amazing people he knows who love just like Jesus. This is what he says. He says, These amazing people spend their free time loving people in the housing projects near their restaurant. They give away love like they're made of it. Like my friend, they do this because they have developed completely unrealistic ideas about what their faith can do in a world when it's expressed in love. They decided to spend more time loving people than trying to game the system by just agreeing with Jesus. You see, they wanted to follow Jesus' example. Instead of telling people what Jesus meant, they just loved people the way he did. So how can we stir up people to love like Jesus? Well, the rest of our time together this morning, we'll spend talking about this very thing. And so how can we stir up acts of love in one another? Well, starting with number one, acts of love are stirred up by example. To love each other the way Jesus did, we must live according to his example. The author of Hebrews in chapter 3 says, Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him his father. And Jesus was faithful, wasn't he? He died to show us his love for us. And that's not it. There's something more for us today. Believers can inspire people to acts of love when they're focused on following Christ themselves. You know, the Apostle Paul said what? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we don't only have the, the greatest example in Jesus, but we can see that it's possible because of each other's example gives us hope that we can do that too. You know, in our community, we not only encourage acts of godly and Christ-like love, but we invite you to practice it, to make mistakes, and then we will celebrate when we get it right. And if it's not celebrated, it won't be repeated often. And if it's not repeated often, it doesn't become muscle memory. And I want love to be muscle memory for me. My first response you know, the, the believer's capacity to love, it just can't be assumed. We can't assume that we can do that. The heart of any man or woman, woman needs to be exercised if it's going to love 
well. Its fibers and its sinew need to be stretched and massaged towards love and action, softened by the Holy Spirit and encouraged by others. See, Christians cannot be stirred up to acts of love in isolation. You might have come to believe in Jesus all by yourself, but you cannot love by yourself. This kind of love is the product of communal activity. For example, you can reassure your wife that you love her, but if she never sees you, she's going to have a hard time loving you back. Am I right? You can't love by yourself. In the same way, this kind of love requires other people to practice. And so this leads us to the second way acts of love are stirred up in one another. Number two is that acts of love are stirred up when we're together. You know, in Hebrews, the author says, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Immediately followed by verse 25, where he continues, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. He says, that unless we spend quality time together and rub shoulders and share our experiences, we won't be compelled to acts of love in the same way we would as if we were, when we were alone. You have to be together. It's invaluable for believers. Let's, let's break this down just a little bit, because there's two important things that we really have to talk about when it comes to meeting together here. First, when we are together, we sense the needs of others. All five senses in the Holy Spirit show us how we might specifically love those around us. We see the nonverbal communications. We see when someone's head is hanging low or when their eyes are starting to well up with tears. We hear their stories and their struggles and their pain. We sit together in silence or we weep together with fat, messy sobs. And sometimes, just sometimes, if we are sensitive to him, the Holy Spirit will tap us on the shoulder and show us specifically how to love someone who's with us. This just doesn't usually happen when we're not together. You know, we've come to know this all too well the last year and a half, haven't we? FaceTime and Zoom just doesn't always cut it. But you know what? COVID is not the only reason we have trouble meeting together. Meeting together has always been a difficult thing for many reasons. And this is the second note we must make. Here's the issue. Neglecting to meet can become a habit. Just as the author says, It's not just because of public safety concerns, provincial and municipal restrictions. It's not just about the virus, masks, and physical distancing and vaccinations. You know, the word Hebrews uses here is actually a popular Greek word that a lot of people still use today. It's ethos. And here, ethos means the custom of the people that's created by the people and not prescribed by law. And it's not the ethos, the custom of believers to be isolated. The truth is, sometimes we can neglect to meet with each other and other believers for personal reasons too. Isn't it true? Maybe you've been hurt or there's been trauma. Maybe you're ashamed or weighed down by sin. Maybe you shirk at the idea of belonging to something bigger than yourself. Maybe you don't think you need anyone. Maybe that's it. 
Or maybe I've heard this a lot recently, and it's surprising. Maybe you're just anxious to pick up relationships where you left off. But let's be honest, you know, that happens. Relationships get messy, and COVID gave us the opportunity to just not participate, a free pass. Let me be clear about something, because I just would hate to miss this today. At Crosspoint, we respect your health and safety, okay? We continue to honor and follow the leading of our government with grace. And we will do our utmost to care for the minority, the vulnerable, and our neighbors. But restrictions and lockdowns are not habits that we formed. They're necessary for the well-being of others. The real question is, what habits have formed in our lives since this all began? And how will they affect us when it is safe to meet again? In other words, when, when are we trying to be safe and when are we just neglecting to gather? Because there's a difference, isn't there? And so, as we head into another uncertain season, each of us needs to continuously assess the risks of meeting together in person for ourselves. And as we do this, we need to keep those habits in check and consider how other believers need your presence in their lives. In whatever form that takes, with whatever precaution that requires. And this brings me to the final and perhaps most effective way acts of love can be stirred up in one another. Number three, acts of love are stirred up when they're encouraged. You know, the author of Hebrews concludes with this in verse 25. He says, Being, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And in a nutshell, what he means is the author says that we cannot stir up acts of love in one another if we can't give each other courage. And as the return of Jesus approaches, as as time passes, believers are going to need a lot more courage. I need courage today myself. And so what should we do? Well, naturally he's saying we just got to encourage each other, people. And I know there's a lot of obvious reasons that it's so hard to meet up with and speak into each other's lives. You know, since me and Dominique have had our third child, Reese, my wife and I wonder if we'll ever have a full conversation with anyone ever again. With each other. It is so noisy, so uninterrupted. How can we encourage each other? There's challenges. It's real. But the truth is, it doesn't go away that believers need each other when they've lost hope. They need a well-timed and thoughtful word that provokes the best in them. They need us to think the best about them. To bring their faith and hope back to life, to spur them to those acts of love, to inspire them. Whether it's a loving correction, a desperate plea, or just a really comforting conversation, or someone just to listen. Love and good works gives people who are wavering, like Hebrews says, hope again gives people with COVID fatigue the hope to continue on through the day. And you know, this kind of love has an amazing and transformative effect on people. It gives us hope, and hope is important for this community. Nothing captures our hearts if it doesn't give us hope. But there's good news. All of this is impossible in the context of a community that shares a common need and hope. You know, you know what I love most about this uh, passage? 
It's the word stir up. Stir up. You know, some, some translations say spur on, uh, but the original language, it's way more aggressive. It's, it could be rendered as irritate, exasperate, stimulate, contend, or provoke. And, you know, I think this is so interesting because everywhere you look today, the only thing people want to provoke is an argument, right? And so it's so unusual here to have a word used in such a positive sense. And this is so striking because I think the author is trying to shake us out of the status quo. Our world doesn't need any more fighting. I think believers are called to lay down their arguments, all the hot debates and high horsing, but instead to invest all that energy into encouraging others. You know, this, these words, stir up, have put a picture in my head that I, ha- I haven't been able to shake all week. And I don't think you'll be able to forget it either, so I'm going to use this picture. Uh, I've been thinking about our community as a jar full of water with a little bit of oil. You see that? This is especially for the kids. Water and oil. This is our community. And naturally, the oil separates from the water and rises to the top. And I think our lives are a lot like this water, and our hope is the oil. And over time, the oil separates and rises to the top. And to get it to mix again, you have to keep shaking, shaking it up. You've got to stir it up, irritate it, right? I think Hebrews is trying to tell us to stir up hope in our community by shaking things up. Maybe you don't have hope in every part of your life right now. Maybe you only feel hopeful on Sundays and when you're with the certain person in your life. But the rest of our lives feel quite hopeless. And the only way to get hope back into the rest of our lives is to shake things up. And we can shake things up with acts of love. So as we land today, the question each of us needs to face is, How can we shake things up? How can we become provocateurs of love and good works? So just as we close today, I want to ask you a couple questions. Just a quick recap. What kind of example are we setting for others? How can we reflect the image of Christ in our circumstances, and through our actions. The second question is this. Are we being faithful in our meeting together with others? I know that means many things and it's complicated right now. But consider how you can continue to gather today, whatever shape or form. And and number three, and this has really just been on my heart this week, do your words create courage and hope in others? Maybe more specifically, who do you need to speak to today and encourage? The truth that we're dealing with today is that believers in Christ provoke others to acts of love when we meet 
and we love like Jesus and encourage each other. And so tomorrow, when you get up, you set alarm, and the first thing I want you to think about is how can I show up for somebody and encourage them? How can I show up for somebody and encourage them? Let me pray for you as we close. Father, we just thank you for your son, Jesus, and his body, the church. Uh, We just just, uh, ask for your help in this new season. And I ask that we could be, by your empowerment, the community that you imagined. And we just ask that we wouldn't miss its intended blessing. We need your help in all things. And we know that you will be faithful to do it. We love you. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.